welcome to the Non-Breaking Space Show. From Saskatchewan, Canada, I'm the Internet's Chris Ahns, and today's show we've a best of collection. Christopher Schmidt is out this episode, but that doesn't mean you can't enjoy the time. Nicole Sullivan talked about how she read W3C specs for fun. Lou Rosenfeld trying not to start a war between IA versus UX, and how Jessica Hish became a success. Before we get started, some things you need to know. The UX Design Newsletter is a weekly list of articles, tutorials, and inspiration handpicked by Christopher Schmidt. Sign up at uxdesignnewsletter.com and have the best links of the week sent to your email. Set it and forget it with the Non-Breaking Space Show newsletter. Whenever a new show is ready, be notified in your inbox by signing up at newsletter.nonbreakingspace.tv. You can find show notes and links for this episode at nonbreakingspace.tv. And be sure to follow Christopher on Twitter at Telejet, T-E-L-E-J-E-C-T. As always, thank you for telling others about the Non-Breaking Space show. Now, on with the show. Uh, can you just tell us a, a little bit about how you got into the web design industry and, and what brought you here and and uh, what got you started? You know, it's a really funny question because uh, I actually got invited in Australia um, to go and speak to a bunch of college students about uh, my path and, um, how, you know, how to get to where I am and what, what I did to get there or whatever. And um, the more I told the story of my path, the more I realized that the best way to get where I am is probably nothing like the path that I took <laughs> to get there. Um, I studied economics in college. Um, I, I basically took whatever classes I wanted. Um, and I every semester, the course catalog would come out and I looked at it like a buffet of choices. And I took whatever classes I was excited about. Um, and then finally realized I did have to graduate. And so... <laughs> My dad sat me down and he was like, you do realize you're there to eventually have a, you know, a diploma. (laughs) So I added up all my classes and figured out what they were closest to. And the degree I was closest to was a degree in economics. So I finished that one off. So Um, so what, if it didn't want me to interrupt, like what type of, what type of subjects, uh, I find that really interesting because I feel like that'd be awesome. College was just like that, you know, that'd be great. Uh, (laughs) It can be. (laughs) Yeah. What what type of courses did, did you gravitate towards, uh, um, well, my high school was really, really terrible. Like, uh, you know, I graduated seventh in my class and I couldn't have told you even roughly when the two world wars were. Um, really, really bad. Uh, terrible education. Instead of learning history, they had us make up our own civilizations. Uh, really not helpful. So I looked at college as a way to kind of get educated. And um, so I took math and I took um, chemistry and I took a ton of um, logic and philosophy and um, some psychology and uh, kind of all across the board uh, from hard sciences to, I mean, I took a speech class actually and almost failed it, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much whatever caught my eye. Um, but a lot of, a lot of sort of um, uh, economics and logic and, and that kind of thing. And so you graduated and then you. Um, what <laughs> then what happened? Well, I graduated and I realized the jobs you can get with an under, undergrad degree in economics are actually really horrendous. Um, <laughs> I, be, I became a credit report writer for a very brief three months and uh, quit just before they were, I think, very close to firing me because I was terrible at it. Um, what, what is a credit report writer? Um, you have to call up companies and basically convince them to give you information about themselves um, in order to make their credit report more complete. Mm. Uh, the thing is, it's really not in their best interest to give you that 
information. So <laughs> I had this like huge moral dilemma around doing my job well. Um, so then I called, uh, I decided I wanted to be a carpenter actually instead. So I, I quit the credit report writing uh, career track and, um, and called every ad in the newspaper and begged them to let me have a try and uh, got laughed at a bunch. And then eventually um, one of them said, well, you can come and work for me a week. And if you don't suck, maybe we'll keep you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I did that. Um, And actually became a carpenter for the next three years, building houses frame to finish. Um, Awesome. Yeah. But that actually does play into the the web stuff quite a bit because I feel like when you've built real stuff, your tolerance for bugs is a bit lower and your attention (laughs) to detail is a little higher. Uh Uh-huh, right. Yeah. So you Um, did that for three years and then did you decide you wanted to do something else? And Well, I hurt my hands. Um, Uh, mm Ah, yeah. It turns out like when you weigh 100 and at that point, 115 or something like that, lifting 200 pounds on a regular (laughs) basis is kind of hard on your body. So... I um, got really bad. Um, I basically couldn't feel my hands, and the doctors, oh, yeah. you have to do something else. You're gonna you're gonna be hurt when you're older if you don't. Um, so at that point, I said, "I'll move to France. I'd like to speak a foreign language." <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I couldn't because I was a carpenter. I couldn't get any kind of paperwork to be in France. Um, it, <laughs> there was just no case that applied to me. They wouldn't say it was impossible, uh-huh. but. Um, but it wasn't possible either. Like there was no uh-huh. case where you're like an unemployed carpenter and you get to move to another country with a visa. So, right. yeah. So, so basically your doctor told you you can't be a carpenter, but you're applying a visa to be a carpenter in France. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. At least to just get there. Okay. Um, right. But so it wasn't possible. So I went as an illegal immigrant instead. <laughs> and, um, ended up, Reading, I was really bored. When you're an illegal immigrant, you can't, um, you can't work, you can't go to school, you can't really do anything. It's a pretty terrible state to be in. So, um, I ended up reading W3C specifications. To kind of <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Okay, back okay, up. So, back up here. <laughs> so, so so far, you're pretty much describing most front end developers' career. Pa- I mean, this is how we all got started, people. So. <laughs> so okay, so. You're a legal immigrant in France, <laughs> and you. how did you get from that to reading W3 specifications? Well, a lot of my friends were working for the W3C at the time, so it wasn't that much of a jump, but still the fact that I kind of thought that was an interesting way to pass time was, was sort of funny. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I just started reading them. I read XML schema, and I read CSS, and I was like, wow, the CSS one is kind of a lot simpler than the XML schema. <laughs> Uh, but I didn't get at all the fact that uh, I, I thought that specs meant that's how it worked. Someone had written down how it worked. And that was like, I don't know, 2002 or something like that. So the CSS spec absolutely did not work the way, the way it said it was supposed to. Uh, so it was kind of funny. Right. Yeah. And then finally, I kind of ended up, um, I sort of accidentally enrolled in engineering school because my French was pretty terrible. Um, I didn't, I thought I was taking like a little night class in Java and, and uh, I was like, wow, this is really, really hard. And it turned <laughs> out as my French improved, I realized I had actually enrolled in like a proper engineering school. <laughs> so I ended up with, you know, a random smattering of six or seven or 10 engineering classes, something like uh-huh. that. Yeah. Oh, wow. 
So I so, think people should definitely follow that exact yeah, path. This is, yeah, this is not, I don't think anyone could follow that path. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous when I was speaking to the students in Sydney, their eyes just kept getting wider. And I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I just did whatever felt right at the time. And it kind of added up to prepare. But yeah. Oh man, that'd be awesome. So like, like parents would come like, like so I'll, What'd you learn? Like, well, basically, if I just did anything I wanted to do, it'd be everything turns out great. I'm like, oh man, there you go. No, that's a good lesson. Yeah. I think that's a good lesson. Yeah. <laughs> so Argus Associates was pretty much the first information architecture firm. In fact, I think it was the only one, right, for a long time. Um, now your emphasis seems to be on uh, user experience. That's what uh, Rosenfeld Media, uh, the books that you publish, um, are about. Maybe you could sp- explain for people who are kind of don't understand the subtleties of the differences between these two. What's information architecture? What's user experience? Where do they overlap, and how are they different? Oh God! Um, you, you're, <laughs> in a way, you're you're asking me to not um, participate in but one but two religious wars uh, <laughs> at the same time. Uh, around um, uh, the DTDTs, which is defining the damn thing. But I'll, here, I'll, here I go. Thanks a lot, okay. guys. Um, uh, I, I would suggest that uh, uh, information architecture is basically a, a series of practices around making information more findable. Um, we do that by working on uh, approaches to organizing it, structuring it, labeling it, and making search work well. And um, so it's basically, you know, let's, let's do a kind of design around uh, findability, specifically navigation and uh, search and making those things work together. Mm-hmm. User experience, on the, on the other hand, I would not say is a field or a discipline or uh, a practice. Um, in, in many respects, it's best described as a, as a shared state of consciousness or state of mind that, that people from different design disciplines have. Um, when they are working on really big, challenging projects for which one set of design tools or perspectives is insufficient. Mm. So um, when you put together interaction designers and information architects and usability testing people and content strategists and and visual designers and on and on and on, and you put them together, um, they need to have something in common so they can actually work together and the commonality are, um, is what we call UX. It's, it's to some degree the consciousness that, or realization that they need to work together. Uh, it's partially the fact that they need to have common vocabulary so they can actually have a conversation that's constructive and productive. Uh, and it's, it's partly the, the recognition that they just can't do it on their own. You don't want to, um, you know, you, well, look, imagine if... Um, pick your favorite application, website, or other service. Imagine it was just designed by usability people or just designed by visual designers mm-hmm. or just designed by information architects and how bad it would be. Mm-hmm. The really successful stuff is, is co- coherent and cohesive because it was designed by people who had goals of cohesiveness and coherence. And, and to me, that's, those are user, user experience people regardless of where they originally come from. So is you you were saying IA information architecture is kind of a discipline, but UX is not necessarily a yeah. discipline. Is that yeah, what you're UX is not a discipline. It's a, it's a it's people from different disciplines that are pulling those ideas, those tools, those practices together and making them work together. So you can't say that this is how UX is done 
It is mm-hmm. how it's done in the context of developing an app uh, uh, for the mobile context may be very different than how it's done when you are um, developing and are designing an intranet for a, a Fortune 50 or when you're designing Disneyland. Those are all very different contexts in which user experience plays a big role. But the tools, the practices, the perspectives that you would use in each of those situations could be radically different. The consciousness, the understanding that this is an interdisciplinary uh, work is the same. But which disciplines and which tools come to play in each of those projects could be quite different. So let's say uh, you're on a web team with a bunch of designers and information architects and other people and somebody new joins your team and they don't know what UX is and you say, you need to join our consciousness of UX. How would you explain it to them? How would you bring them up to speed? What would you do to say this is how we need to think uh, to be user experience oriented you know, web designers? That's a tough one, and, and sometimes the easiest way is to not explain, but to, to show or to use kind of concrete analogies or demonstrations. So, you know, for example, this is like a, a, a stupid example, but I would say, you know how you love Apple, um, the experience that Apple gives you? Well, let's do a little math. Apple uh, minus user experience equals Sony. <laughs> uh-huh. That's, that's unfair and stupid, but it, it kind of makes a certain point that there's a certain consciousness that people at Apple have about how they approach design that's different than the sort of disjointed uh, series of, of products and services that a company like Sony produces. What you want to do is to get that person to then ask, well, what is the difference? And then you can, that sets them up to have a conversation about how there are um, different kinds of tools that come from different disciplines that, that come to play in, in each setting. And, you know, you might say, you know, let, let's think about what you bring. Now, let's think about what's not on that list. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you might be an interaction designer. Let's, do you know anything about metadata? Do you know anything about uh, ethnography? Do you know anything about yada yada? Well, here's what those things are and how they work with what you do. So, um, yeah, but, you know, in a way, that's not a fair question because it, it's, it sort of depends on whom you're bringing on to your team. If you're bringing mm-hmm. on someone who's, you know, my age, uh, late 40s, it's a very different conversation that you'd have with them than bringing on someone who's in their early 20s, who's mm-hmm. grown up with good user experience and maybe more importantly, um, a kind of mind that is already either good at or ready to do synthesis in a way that old farts like me aren't. So let me explain what I mean. Now, people like me in my generation, um, when, when we got our academic training, uh, when we were sort of, in, uh, uh, you know, inoculated with the, the germs of our disciplines, we, we were, you know, in, in kind of siloed grad schools and other programs where we weren't really necessarily encouraged to, to look outside our field. And we were told to read certain journals and magazines and go to certain conferences and hang out with people like us. And, um, and, you know, contrast that with the the, the people I think who are coming into the field now and by the field, I mean the industry of design development, they are natural uh, synthesizers. I don't think they have those disciplinary blinders on in quite the same way. They, they are pretty comfortable going to conferences that other 
uh, disciplines might put on because they look interesting. They're, they're not mm-hmm. blindly allied to the professional association that they joined at college. In fact, they often don't bother with professional associations. The sort of sense of identity they have is looser and more flexible and therefore more open to synthesis. So like, I always like to, not that he's that young anymore, but I always feel like he's, he's kind of young uh, and a wonder, wonder kind. Uh, Luke Rabluski is uh, one, of my, one of our authors, and um, he's someone who uh, you know, has like this visual design background but can, can code and you know, does some great research that draws on um, a lot of usability, uh, engineering principles, and, and on and on. And I don't think he really you know, cares. He just, he just looks at, mm-hmm. like, wh- what is it going to take solve problems right so you did another project what is this in 2009 you started the daily drop cap indeed what what, what is that project so that was probably my that was my first big side project that i did and what happened was I was leaving my day job um, with Louise Feely, who I, she was like absolutely a massive inspiration and basically jumpstarted me into this whole world of like vintage typography stuff. I was interested in it before, but it wasn't until working for her for two and a half years that I really dug my heels in. But um, my freelance work was getting really overwhelming. And I sort of knew that I wanted to be full-time freelance at some point. And I also had a bunch of other ideas for side projects and for a typeface that I wanted to work at, work on. So I ended up um, giving notice there. But then when I left, I knew that there would be client projects that were coming along that I didn't feel like working on. I, you know, sometimes you just do super cheesy illustration just because it pays the bills. And at that point, it was definitely like, that was definitely overwhelmingly happening. Um, So I wanted something that I could do every day that I could still work on my lettering skills and make sure that I was doing lettering even when I wasn't getting hired to do it. And also just make sure that I had a way to sort of challenge myself to, you know, do something really different every day to not have to work in the same styles to really push myself to work in a lot of different styles. So I gave myself a goal. Well, I set set up this site, Daily Drop Cap, and my my whole plan was to illustrate a letter a day. um, And my goal was to do it for 12 alphabets. So it would take about a year, a little over a year. It ended up taking about a year and a half because of travel and stuff in between. And every, every day of the week, I didn't do it on the weekends, but every weekday, um, I would wake up in the morning and the first thing that I did was draw a letter. And what ended up happening was something that I completely did not foresee was that it completely shot me into like full, full force into the world of lettering. And I became mm-hmm. like one of the only people that people could instantly call up when they thought about illustrative lettering work. Um, wow. It just went on every design blog. It really, like I was getting a lot of consistent illustration work, like my career was going really well, but it wasn't until I launched that, that I became like more of a, like a public figure. I would like, you know, that's, I, I started getting asked to do speaking stuff at that point. Mm-hmm. People would write me to get my opinion about lettering for articles and things like that. So at that moment is real, that was really the turning point of when my lettering career took off. Um, so that project went on for about a year and a half. And then, um, I sell prints of the letters on my site and it actually ended up spurring this really awesome project that just launched publicly, um, which I'm working with Penguin Books to do a classic series where they're, we're doing 26 books and, and it's the full alphabet and it's going to be like a rainbow spectrum for the books. So they start at red and they end up you know, probably like back at red. And um, each of the books is chosen by the author's last name 
So it's like Austin, Bronte, et cetera. Um, and I, the entire design is around doing a giant letter on the front cover. So it's really cool. They're, they're branding it as like penguin drop caps. And it's sort of all about the fact that I'm working wow. on it, which is awesome. Oh, cool. So I guess the lesson is if you are an artist toiling in obscurity, build a website and update it every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's more like show people what you're interested in yeah. doing. You know, the, the, I think a big problem that a lot of young folks have or a lot of people that are struggling with their careers have are they don't know how to put forth the work that they actually want to future do. Mm-hmm, you know, right. they might have work in their portfolio that they're really they think is their best work, but that they hated doing. Mm-hmm. And they'll keep it in their portfolio because it's good work, but it's not actually what they want to be doing for a living. Right. Yeah. So it's really important that when you actually put work out there, it's the kind of work that you want to get in the future because you know clients are not as creative as we are and they want to hire us, hire us based on the work that we've done in the past. Right. And you know, I'm speaking to the majority of clients, not to like the amazing clients that sometimes have like vision and, and really know what they're doing. Um, but you know, the majority of clients that try and hire you, they, when they say I'm looking for a logo that is a vintage logo that incorporates a tree, they're going to look through people's portfolios that have vintage logos that incorporate trees. You know, (laughs) they, they, they look for the work that they want to get. So you have to have the work in your portfolio that you want to future do. Right. Well, it also goes into like, uh, in doing research, you, you had a I think a quote, I'm going to totally paraphrase it and probably butcher the quote, and uh, you can correct me. But uh, it's like uh, if you if you're doing work and you don't like it, it's you should think about the work that you do when you're procrastinating. As, yeah, yeah, actually, it's that's pretty close. So it was the work you do when you're procrastinating is the work you should be doing for the rest of your life. Right. And a big thing with that is that people are are have a hard time choosing careers because careers seem like a really huge decision. You know, like when you graduate from college or when you're in college and you have to choose a major, like it's a huge decision. When you're assigning yourself a title as a professional, it's a huge decision. But if you look at the the micro decisions rather than the macro, it makes it a lot easier to choose the path that you want to take. So um, if you're a student and you're listening to this, you know, look at the work that you actually enjoy doing in college. Like, don't look at it like, I love doing graphic design. I love doing web design. I love doing painting. Like, that's it's too macro. But if you find yourself really focusing on like, I love drawing this specific kind of thing, or I love it when I can like spend four hours doing this thing that I like to do, even if it's not super sexy, that can really help influence the kind of work that you end up doing. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of people make decisions about their careers based on titles and not based on what they're actually doing day to day. And ultimately, the, what you want to end up with is a career that doesn't feel like a job. You know, you want to end up with something that you go to work and actually enjoy what you're doing for right. the nine or 10 hours that you're at work. And if you can make those decisions based on the actual tasks that you're completing throughout the day and choose a career that has more of those tasks, then you're going to enjoy your life a lot more. Okay, so like, how did Microsoft did Microsoft just call you up or just like? Oh, we had a, we had a, we did uh, a couple of things for Nishant. Yeah, sorry, and he, I mean, he did it all. We owe him like everything. Okay. So we did like Lost World's fairs and all right. the mix online. So he kind of. All oh, right. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, we were at lunch at South by. I said, "You want to do the Microsoft homepage?" <laughs> That's pretty much the story right there. I said yes. They hey. called me. And he said, hey. hey, it's Dan. Dan, Dan. Hey, <laughs> guys. Listen, I am uh, sorry for the delay. Um, no it's kind of one of, it, it's funny. I, 
I forgot I didn't install Skype yet on this machine. And just, it's like, okay, let's go. And I, where's Skype? And I, so I had to download and install it. Sorry about that. No problem. Cool, man. Well, glad you're here. And I am glad I'm here, too. Thanks for having me. Cool. And uh, Trent is here, as you go. And then... Um, Trent Walton, how are you doing, man? Good. I don't want to make you feel bad, but I am sitting here in a tuxedo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I've been up since 3.30 this morning because I was so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> me too, man. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good, good, good. Right? I mean, yeah. uh, I don't have a tuxedo on, but okay. I actually don't have anything on. But, uh, <laughs> I'm still nervous. And I'm still very too. nervous. <laughs> <laughs> kind of what I do when I get nervous. I, I just take all my clothes off. <laughs> yeah. it, just, it helps immensely. So I just, I, as a vision of you guys, just <laughs> one with a tuxedo, one naked, just staring at the MacBook. <laughs> yeah. for, last, know, it, for the last nine hours. <laughs> your vision is probably accurate. Put it that way. Oh, I'm man. telling you. <laughs> so glad we didn't do a video call. <laughs> I know, me too. Man. Uh, oh man, it's been awkward. <laughs> so, uh, um, so, so I'm just a quick rundown of what we're going to do today. Is yeah. Um, yeah, so like I'm not sure if you heard of our podcast uh, episode before or not, but uh, so Chris Enns is our producer. Hey Chris, hello, hey, Chris. Hey Dan, nice uh, to meet you. Yeah, you too. Big fan. Yeah, man. Thanks. Yeah. So um, I'm a fan of your show. Okay, cool. Thanks. So yeah, and we wouldn't have a show without Chris. He he actually makes it all all happen for us. So I'm um, really happy I probably have a better us. show without Chris. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we'll <get it> <laughs> so, um, so he actually does like you know he produces the whole thing, puts it together, duct tapes it up, and sends it out there. And uh, he also does our intros. Um, yeah. For that, so he's got an intro, and then um, then um, Trent is our uh, guest host. So. Uh, We'll do a quick chat, see how things are going with him, and then uh, we'll pull you in and then talk until till we're done. You know, it's pretty much that's so. fantastic. It sounds awesome. I'm I'm honored to be here. You guys oh. have done some good 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 stuff here. Oh. A lot of cool. <laughs> <laughs> I almost I almost swore and for and for no reason really. It's just because you're um, so nervous. That's yeah. I am very nervous. <laughs> I, it's not clear. Uh, we had Jessica Hish on a couple episodes ago, and she she dropped a bunch yeah, of S bombs yeah. that we had to edit out. So don't worry if you if something slips oh, out, okay. we'll, we'll catch it. All right, Can you do Excellent. beeps because that's probably sound really funny. I like the beeps. I know. Yeah, beeps would be it. Beeps would be funny. I think for this one, we should get like a, a basketball bounce or something like a. You should just beep the old basketball bounce, random words, just to make it sound really <laughs> like terrible people. We could choose one word to always replace well, it. I, I was well, recording already. Pixels bleep out pushing, and who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just put in tuxedo. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I got Trent saying, tu- "Are you saying tuxedo?" Whoever said tuxedo? I think we all said tuxedo. <laughs> <laughs> We're all at fault for that. One. Safety word. <laughs> <laughs> Safe word. <laughs> Wait, Trent. Which podcast are you here for? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Now you may wonder why they don't let me on shop talk very much. <laughs> All right. So sorry, Christopher, um, you're trying to be professional. I'm no, no, no I'm, I'm going to stop right now. I'm, I'm going like, to take off my clothes and just <laughs> relax. And, All right. Join in the fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but uh, apparently it doesn't work yet. You get really nervous. But, uh, this is already, already the best <laughs> podcast I've ever been on. <laughs> by the way. 